All right, this will be fun, man. But I, I do it. Tables of why you do what you do, why I do what I do. There's probably you love microphones. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, that's why you did stand up comedy. Yeah. Okay, I like wanna, to hear my own voice. I yeah. think is what it is. Yeah. So you're if you want to do that intro, you're okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So Andy Neary, man, welcome to the podcast. How you are you? Bet. I this is gonna be fun. I agree. This is gonna be very fun. We've already yes. had fun for about 15 minutes before yes. this. So we this should have been recording that. That we should have, Weston. Come on, man. Some of it's on there. Some of it's you on got, there. We got a couple minutes. Oh, well, for, yeah. is that for like the outtakes? I guess I haven't done much with it. Uh, usually it's like just so that we don't have this really awkward. Hey, Andy, how are you? <laughs> But so Colorado trip, I always ask yeah. folks, how, how was the trip in? Never, flight okay? Yeah, you know, that's one thing about Denver to Dallas. Uh, first, got to deal with DIA, which anybody has to go through there. It's like, bless you. It's, it's not fun. But uh, quick flight, hour and a half, you're here. Into straight, love, straight, into in love, love straight north, okay. and here we go. Yeah, Cool, man. Do you come in a lot? Have you, do you Actually, come well, you know, no one's gone anywhere for the last 12 months. Fair. But I would say pre-COVID, um, just ironically, because there were a lot of um, – industry events here, like mm-hmm. Ascend Conference and things like that. I've been here lately, but I also come in now to see, you know, our mutual buddy, yes. Seth, and his partner, John, at GDP. Uh, but yeah. And Seth, by the way, nobody knows this, very good Uber driver, right? Seth has one of the nice Uber vehicles oh, yeah. that would you're going to ride black? in, would and it, you get to sit in front. You get to sit in front? Oh, you don't have to sit in the back? Because he's got car seats in the back, so Correct. you can't sit in the back. That's Correct. funny. Well, yeah, it was funny when... Uh, yeah, uh, I think Brandon, uh, the other guy here that works here, he was like, hey, uh, they're here. And I'm like, they're here. And I was like, oh, Seth is coming to chit-chat for a minute. So good to, good to see him and definitely and, anxious and to hang. And when Seth's involved, you're like, shh, shh, hey, guys, Seth's here, Seth's here, Seth's here. Mind your P's and Q's, okay. <laughs> but so I think we're going to have fun today, Andy. We were talking about this uh, a couple minutes ago. Self-funded with Spencer. We know the subject matter, but let's not force the issue too much. I think mm-hmm. you obviously have an interest, interesting perspective because you talk to mm-hmm. folks in the industry. But I'd really like to talk Andy Neary, if you don't mind. Turn the tables because you, oh, yeah, I'm sure this really stresses you out to talk talk about Andy Neary. But I would love to take a minute because I think, obviously, your journey to get to this point is very interesting. I think you also will have, we have a little bit of an overlap in the fact that we were both ex-athletes and spent a lot of our lives doing that. So I'd love to hear about that. But walk me through Andy Neary uh, growing up and Andy Neary's early career, if you don't Yeah, mind. so uh, it's a short uh, story I often share on stage. If there's one word to define my childhood, it's average. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I'm currently the average height of a, a male in the United States. If you go look it up, five foot nine, that's me. Good luck. Um, good for you, man, because I'm, I'm, I'm probably yeah. the, you know, um, I grew up in an average family. If you look statistics, money, I had, you know, son of two teachers, beautiful parents. Uh, and so my whole childhood, and it wasn't a hard childhood. You know, I, you'll hear about stories where people come from rags to riches or abusive uh, childhood. I had an easy childhood, I won't lie. And I was average at a lot of things. But there was one place I excelled at, and that was on the baseball field. And I grew up in a baseball family. My dad a, a, was a college, average college baseball player, but he became a very successful high school baseball coach. In fact, he's one of the winningest coaches in Wisconsin State history, now retired. Um, ironically, it's a funny side note with him, six state finals, never won one. Mm. Oh, for six. He's like the Marv Levy of uh, of high school Is baseball. Is he still actively coaching? No, he's, as well? okay. he's been retired for almost seven or eight, at least seven, eight years now. Um, but anyway, so I grew up with a good mentorship around the game of baseball, right? Mm-hmm. And when I got to high school, I realized that I had a shot to play college baseball. And, you know, it kind of presented its first hurdle for me because in high school, you know, you know this, back in the, it's changed a lot now in high school, but 
back in the day, back in the day, 25 years back ago. Back in the day, what are we talking? 1996. Okay, okay. My senior, I graduated in 96. If you were a good athlete, you were a multi-sport athlete, right? Today, different. So much specialization. But I knew I was also a multi, multi-positioned player in baseball, right? As a pitcher, shortstop. And, but I knew if I was going to play at the next level, it was going to be on the mound. But again, I'm five foot nine, mm-hmm. right? And at the time, I weighed 145 pounds. So not what I would call a over-intimidating presence on the mound, sure. right? And I didn't throw overly hard. I probably hit 86, 87 at the time in high school. And so got a chance. Actually, it was an interesting story I love to share because this is talking about stepping up when it, when it matters most. Going into my senior year, I had accepted one scholarship offer. Division two school in Minnesota, Winona State. Good baseball program. Was all set to go there. But going into my senior year, I'm like, I want to earn a chance to play at the Division One level. Didn't really have any offers. Funny, uh, I had gone up and visited the University of Minnesota. But once they found out I wanted to be an architecture major, they lost interest in me very quickly because, mm-hmm. oh, that's going to be time-consuming. And so going into the playoffs my senior year, I had one last shot. The University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee's coaching staff was coming to watch me pitch. I knew it. You know, it could be a lot of pressure. And like I said, this was really the first time in my life I felt what it, what it, what it felt like to step up when it mattered. Because that night I threw a, a one-hitter. I gave up a hit on the first pitch of the game. Nobody else got on. Wow. That was one hit away from a perfect game. I threw, I think if I recall, 77 pitches, 62 strikes. Like, it was one of the best performances I've ever had. So that night I get home. And the head coach from UWM calls me, offers me a scholarship. So literally over over a, mm-hmm. one game, I go from I'm going to play in Winona, Minnesota next year to now playing Division One baseball. So fast forward, first two years at UWM sucked. Hanging around the wrong people. Our program wasn't really known as much at the time. Oh, we have a baseball program? I mean, that was not an uncommon comment in the dorms at UWM. Fast forward, junior, senior year, I'm taking a lot more seriously. Uh, I'm a captain. We now put ourselves on the map. We make the NCAA tournament. So things rapidly change. In fact, I'll never forget, we made the tournament my junior year, came down here to Lubbock. That was where the regional was, Texas Tech. We end up knocking off Rice, number one team in the country. Now it's round robin. It's double elimination. So we end up getting eliminated eventually by, by having to play Rice again. But it really put our school on the map. And I'm still proud to say 20 some years later, it was our recruiting class that changed UWM baseball forever. That's awesome, man. And my senior year, I had a really successful year. And it gave me one more shot to go up to the next level, and that was pro baseball. But that's where everything kind of fell apart, Spencer, because I, I talk about this often. Think about your life. You played soccer. Mm-hmm. When you were on the soccer field, did you feel like you were in the zone? <laughs> Especially when you're yes. playing like in high school yeah. or you were un, you were unstoppable, you were untouchable. That was it for me on the mound. Like in high school, I can remember games where I was going into the game going, I know who I'm pitching against, and if I don't pitch a shutout, I'll be pissed. Because I had that much confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. But I got the pro ball, and now I'm playing with guys. I'm a free agent. They signed me for $500. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm now playing with guys who sign for millions, some of the top players in the world, and I let it get to me. Sure. I didn't see myself. I saw myself as average again. Yep. 
And I, I just was trying to fit in. I wasn't, I, I got away from the routine that made me successful in high school and college. And it, it's why my pro baseball career lasted as short as, as it did. So I know that was a long winded answer, but a, it, it sets up the stage the for yeah. what we're going to talk yeah. about because my happy place was in the spotlight. It was on the mound. Cause when you're on the mound in a, in, on the baseball field, you literally control the whole game. The game can't move forward until I throw the baseball. Yeah. And I actually love that. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, hearing you tell that story, um, of course, that flow state that you're talking about, the preparation, the visualization. I mean, I, I literally tell people still, like, the smell of the grass, the ping of a soccer ball. I mean, when a, a perfectly, like, a good soccer ball that's aired up, I can hear the thud. I can hear the voices of people, you know, talking, you know, cause soccer is a very verbal game. You're constantly talking to one another and it literally, there's such a visceral thing about that. That's like that memory is so ingrained in my DNA. It's probably driven a lot of my decisions and behavior and things after that, especially in my career. And I think the, the one thing that you touched on that I can very much relate to is the psychology so when I went, I, I had the same, almost the same story, except I wasn't going to play soccer. I was going to go to university of North Texas and just go with one mean of my buddies. Green. Yeah. Not, not North Texas, excuse me, university of Texas. That's how long it's been. So uh, Austin. So one of my buddies was going to go down there. We're going to get a dorm together and we were just going to have fun. Right. I played in one tournament in the spring showcase tournament, got a phone call, Drury university, Springfield, Missouri coach saw me said, Hey, why don't you come take a look at the campus? I said, okay, like I kind of was maybe going to play club ball at, at University of Texas. And I said, okay, I'll come look. Springtime, beautiful campus, birds chirping, flowers blooming. And I thought, you know what? Actually, this is, this. I do want to do this. But it was exactly the same situation. One phone call to nowhere, literally my life forked and, and it went that direction. But the psychology aspect that I'm talking about with you is I was really good, Andy. I was probably, I don't know if I was at the level as you, I played some semi-pro in the summer, but I would have dramatic fluctuations in performance from practice to practice and game to game because psych psychologically I would psych myself out. Oh, those guys are good or that guy's big or that guy's fast. Everything I knew in practice for 20 years would almost completely go out the window because my brain had, had told me, well, you're not, you're not going to be good enough to compete against these people. And so I would shut down. So I tried to go to SMU and I actually played at SMU and they were third in the country at that time exact same thing happened every day. I'm looking at the guy that went, grew up in the inner Milan Academy. And these guys are on full scholarship coming from all over the country. I don't belong here. Imposter syndrome. Right? So anyways, I know that was a long winded response, but just hearing you talk about that, I know exactly what you're well, describing. And here you bring up another good point. Cause I, I always, for whatever reason, I go back to this, this game that I played in high school and we were playing our rival and it was to go to sectionals and then on to state. It's my senior year. And I had already pitched that that first game in the playoffs was when I got the scholarship. Second round, we're now playing Watertown, our, our rival. And I was on call for relief if we need to, but one of the other guys was starting that night. And we get to the seventh inning, I think, and I get called in. Now it's th uh, guy, a guy on third, one out. Okay. And I'm somehow going to get us out of this jam, right? And I'll never forget this moment because my job is to hold the guy on third I think they might suicide squeeze, which in baseball that means runner from third takes off upon my throw. Mm -hmm. The guy batting has to get the bunt down or the guy running home is screwed. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was is I'm in the stretch. Guy from third takes off prematurely. Now, normally, that's a very easy situation for the pitcher to balk 
because he looks, he gets excited, mm-hmm. and then he moves, mm-hmm. balk, guy scores. And I think that's what they were trying to do to me. I casually stepped off, ran the guy down, got him out. We get out of the inning. And I'll never forget that moment because for me it was like I didn't even have to think about it. And my dad, the head coach at the time, was like, yeah. Dude, at that night he's like, how did you not even flinch? And yeah. I said, this is what I do in pressure situations. Yeah. yeah. And it, it struck, now it hits me more than it used back then, is like this is where, let's take it to our industry. You're in the proposal. You've got the biggest case you've ever written sitting in front of you, or mm-hmm. potential case. Mm-hmm. Are you going to flinch? Or are you going to act like there, like you've been there you before? You belong, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's those pressure moments in sports. Like you probably experienced the same thing on the soccer field. Are you letting the pressure get to you? Mm-hmm. Or are you calm, collected, and acting like you've been there before? Well, so I think that's it. really interesting. And I, I think we'll end up obviously pulling this into the industry talk here in a second. But some of that I think comes with experience and time. Some of that I've discovered comes with age, right? Just you've been exposed to the same pressure situations over and over again. It's funny. I used to think about doing things like this or even a meeting in front of a broker made me so nervous, right? Now, obviously, it's, you're somebody I very much respect and, you know, I have a big online presence. You come in, I'm just, I'm sitting down with Andy. And so there, it takes a long time as if there's some young people, I'm still fairly young, but if there's some young people out there that are going, oh, I want to be able to do that. Well, some of it just literally takes some time to get mm. accustomed to a situation where if you really thought about it, you probably should be nervous, right? Or you should worry. But if you just kind of get exposed to it enough, or at least that's for me, after a while, the worry is gone. It, it's, it's not even you shut it off. It just literally doesn't come up uh, from the surface anymore. Well, and I think what you're referring to is the put the reps in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the work. People ask me all the time, how did you play professional baseball? Easy. It's all the work I put in when no one was watching. Exactly. And I think, again, our industry, far too many producers winging it. Mm-hmm. Um, you got a proposal uh, in two weeks with a huge prospect. Are you practicing right now? Are you going to show up game day thinking you're going to nail that pr- proposal? It's it's the, the 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 Seth Densons of the world that we just talked about that are out there with numbers that would anybody would dream of having. Mm-hmm. It's because they put the reps in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where we can now pivot to the industry. But I was going to ask you, and I kind of know this answer already, because maybe the mentality that, that, we, that sports brings to the table. Why do you think there's so many guys and gals that I know in this industry that have come from on the cusp or even played professional sports, there seems to be a, a disproportionate number of people in our industry that have had that level of experience in sports. Do you think there's, you think that's accidental or do you think maybe there's a reason behind that? I think a lot of people, cause what you're saying, which is so true. Why do athletes become sales reps? <laughs> right. That's really yeah, what we're yeah. saying here. I think one discipline there's, if they were a successful athlete, they have to have discipline. They couldn't just show up. Maybe in high school, if you're in, if you're the big dog in a small town high school, you can get away with just your talent. Mm-hmm. But you have to have discipline to play at a collegiate level. Two, one, two, three, junior college. I don't care. So they come with that discipline. They come with that competitive drive to want to always get better. Now that can actually be a curse, because I know I've been guilty of I hit a goal. And I don't even celebrate the goal because I got I to gotta get better. I got to yep. get to the next one. And you fail. I talk about this all the time. Who's the greatest college football coach of all time? We could probably argue it's Nick Saban, right? Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player of all time. They're often lauded that the day after the championship, Nick Saban's out recruiting. Uh-huh. Michael Jordan, the day after the NBA title, he's back in the weight room. That's great. My question is, are they actually taking time to celebrate? 
because if you're if you're always striving to be better, that's an asset. But don't forget to stop and pause once in a while and be be happy with you know celebrate what you're doing. Sure. But to answer your question, I think athletes often make great sales reps, and especially in insurance, is the discipline and the and the competitive desire to always get better. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I think I can share that um, the curse, if you will. It's it's difficult sometimes to little victories sell, you know, I'm not saying going out and, you know, get drunk and spend a lot of money just because you made a sale, but you do go, all right, what's the next one? Or yeah, that's great. Cool. We got it. You're always moving on. And there it does. I do. I'm guilty of this myself is every once in a while, take a pause and yep. just go, you know what? Actually we're, we're making progress. If you, if you zoom out and look at the trajectory of your career, you're obviously making progress as long as you, you're not so focused on just the day-to-day. And Celebrate the small wins. Absolutely, man. So this is going to be interesting, and I, I think before we get exactly to this question, I know we talked about up to the baseball career, but obviously you've had an extensive career in the insurance advisement space preceding being a performance coach. So can you talk to me about that uh, channeling or sort of traversing that section of the industry until you got into being a performance coach? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a question people have been asking me lately because now they see me as the coach consultant to advisors and agencies. Question I get asked is, so you don't advise anymore? Why not? And I realize, Spencer, that I have a gift. And that is a gift to grab attention. And early on in my career, or I should say even career, seven, eight years ago when I was really starting to build the brand, I realized some of that intention was unwarranted because I was good at grabbing it. But had I really proven myself? I don't know. But I had an ability to put myself in front of the right audience because of the brand. Now, if I were also an amazing closer, I would be sitting on a $10 million book of benefits business right now, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I'm being honest with you. But I realized what my gift is, and I stepped into it. My job... My passion is to help other people get the attention they need so they can do what they do best, and that's close business. Awesome. So that is, so that's obviously what we're going to talk about now is a performance coach. Can you define, I mean, because I know you're, so you are you have this same problem that we have in that we're in a category of what we do at PlantSite that's being started and created and everybody wants to put you in a bucket that you don't quite fit in. What, how, because this is, you, you're the guest here today. How do you define what a performance coach is to insurance advisors? If you, if you know, can you tell me? Uh, Let I'll me know try. what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In our industry, I'm going to make it very simple. It's a marketing consultant. Mm-hmm. But really what a performance coach is, Spencer, if you and I were to sit down with most advisors today and you take enough time getting deep enough with them, I'm willing to bet there's a, vi- a lot of advisors who actually don't like what they do. Why are they doing it? Because somebody brought them into the fold, right? Most of us didn't get in here by design. But they brought them in and said, hey, you can make a lot of money if you stay around long enough. Yep. And you can play golf three days a week. And... But what I realized is so many people are not living up to their potential in this industry. I, I myself included years ago. Mm-hmm. It's because they're getting, they're, they don't have the lacquer. They, they're not being trained like they should. Um, they're not being supported like they should. I've, I've heard agencies say, sorry, we are not going to invest in you and your development. We already pay you too much in salary. <laughs> and therefore they aren't given the tools to go get the right attention from the right prospect. If you are able to get the right attention from the right prospects, your closing ratio will double. 
The problem is too many advisors spend too much time grabbing the wrong attention from the wrong prospects or the right attention from the wrong prospects, and it leads to frustration. Mm -hmm. So as a performance coach, my job is to put them in the right position with the right message so that their ratios go up and they end up loving what they're doing. Well, because I guess you probably obviously get them to focus more on so I'm sure the how is, is a big part of it, but also the why. Why are you doing this at the end of the day? Not only for yourself, presumably, but why are you in this space to help employers out? What is the true purpose? It's funny, you know, you can distill, oh, you're an insurance broker down to something that's menial or something that should be demeaning. Or you can go, really what you're doing, if you look at the big picture impact, yes, there's a you're having an impact on the healthcare industry at large, but also an employer's bottom line. You're literally able to financially put that employer in a better position. What does that mean to the members underneath that? Those members have better health care at a lower cost. Those members, I mean, maybe there's other benefits that are being provided to them because they've lowered the cost of their health care. All of a sudden, you have a happier employee base, a healthier employee base. The trickle-down effect of what an insurance advisor or a consultant is involved in is massive. And having never been one, right, so this is the guy on the outside looking in, you know, I used to be like, oh, I sell insurance and I would just, be, that's what I would distill my role down to. Now I'm shouting from the rooftops about how much I love stop loss and self-funding because I just shifted my mindset about what I do and understood what role I played in the industry. And I think it's kind of what you're speaking to is inspiring these advisors to find the passion for what they do again. There is not a broker in America that l likes to hear, oh, so you're a health insurance broker <laughs> when they describe what they do and somebody responds that way. There's, nobody likes hearing that, but it's 100% your fault by the way ex you explain what you mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. And to your point, I just made a post about this last week. That's a phrase we all hate getting. Oh, you're a health insurance broker. Mm -hmm. But do you realize the impact you're having right now? What you do could prevent or help an employer keep its doors open. Yes. What you're doing can prevent a family from filing bankruptcy. What you're doing can actually help an individual consumer avoid the wrong facility that could kill them. Yeah. What you a, do is matters. That not enough impact uh, for you. What else do I need to? So, so quick yep. acting like you just sell a product. Yeah. Well, then, who do you think is going to be inspired to buy your product if that's the way you act? Um, and I uh, preaching to the choir, of course. Um, but what you know, one of the things that you you inspired me uh, thinking about that is I don't know if it was you or somebody else recently talked about we might be entering in a golden age or a renaissance of consulting. Would you? Would you agree with that? Or at, was that you by any chance or was that somebody else? But it wasn't me, but I, 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 saw I, it I probably have a good opinion on that. Well, yes. that's what it does. In, you know, part of this is maybe just being exposed to some of the, I think, the best people in this industry. But there's a passion and enthusiasm and an energy about what we're doing now uh, collectively that feels like we're going through some sort of renaissance. I agree. I, yep. I mean, I'll tell you what, you know. Hanging out in certain circles in this industry, it's easy to get sucked into. You think this industry is made up of 200 advisors that actually know what they're doing. And I'll tell you, since I've started the coaching consulting business, there are so many good advisors and agencies out there nobody knows about. And that's actually kind of one of my missions is to shine the spotlight on those firms that are out there just doing their thing and good humans doing great things for their clients. And to your point, I do see it. We're, one, we're going to have a generational shift, right? The average age in our industry from an advisor is still in the upper 50s. So we're going to have a, a mass retirement of agency owners. And as we make this shift, and this is one of my biggest missions, Spencer, 
one of the biggest frustrations I have in our industry is this young 28-year-old advisor, energetic, passionate, wants to go change the world, gets hired by this agency, is provided zero training, mm-hmm. maybe paid a nice salary as a, as a golden, as a carrot. All of a sudden, within months, they're out on their own island because you know what? I built my agency without any training. You're going to do the same. And in two years, that agent's gone. Hell, they might be out of the industry. Mm-hmm. And we just lost a really good advisor because there was no training. Yeah. Or they were trained how to pick up the phone and smile and dial. They were trained on how to go knock on doors when today, if you just let your agents grow their brands, mm-hmm. you are renting the brand of the agent. They are not renting your logo. Yeah. If you just let them be themselves and share their brand with the world, you would write so much business. And that's what my mission is right now. <laughs> it's funny. And I won't go into too much specifics, but you, you obviously, you know how this business works. You ask somebody to come on a podcast, you might invite 25 people and, and 10 of them say yes, or whatever yeah. the case may be. But a couple of people that I've invited on have said yes, only to have it kiboshed by the higher ups within the organization because they're part of big brands. Nothing wrong with that. But you go, oh, you're like one of the top producers in your, your company. They won't allow you the freedom to spend an hour just talking on a podcast about the industry itself for fear of what the association or fear of maybe you say one thing wrong that tarnishes the brand. But it's like, for me, it's you trust that person to go out and sell millions of dollars of premium, but you don't trust that person to talk uh, for 60 minutes on a podcast. Fine. It's their discretion. But to your point, right, it's like they're not letting their employees have freedom to be themselves. They're part of a global brand that they must tow a narrow line. And, and, so, and it's 100% out of fear. It is. Um, it's a lack mindset that everybody's competition so if I let my advisor go on a podcast, God forbid my competition's listening and he gives a secret away, I'm here to tell you something. Number one, you can't serve everybody. Mm-hmm. There's enough to go around. And if you can't think that way, you're going to end up losing business over time mm-hmm. because you are more about protecting than growing. And to, so you couldn't have said it better, uh, Spencer. It's, it's those advisors. The ones who are winning today are the ones who are sharing the most. Yep. I can't say it any more simpler than it, that. The ones weird, who are winning yeah. are the ones who are sharing the most. Yeah, Lester talked about this. The education, at the end of the day, his job is to educate. He used to be, you know, you go backwards in time, uh, you know, a decade, people would scoff at the notion of sharing a strategy or sharing some tidbit of advice with publicly with, you know, pursue, presumably your competitors, right? Nowadays, like, I don't fear that. We know who our competitors are in this space. There are tens of thousands of agencies in the United States. There's room for four or five or six technologies to service different size segments and different reasons why somebody wants to do business with you. God forbid you, you know, you say something publicly about uh, your technology that makes it cool. And all of a sudden, oh, you know, they've stolen our ideas and now we're ruined. I just don't think I don't subscribe to that mindset, although I do understand where it comes from. Right. Mm -hmm. And that that's a legacy mindset of because we had trade secrets and because our everything we do is the best and proprietary and we can't let any of that out. Now I think the industry is softened. Of course, a lot of us in the younger generations are accustomed to sharing and social media and stuff like that. So maybe that is a, a generational mind shift. And here's what I'm going to challenge. Yeah. Oh, please, please. I love the challenge. They're, not you. Okay. The industry. There are so many agencies that have the greatest strategy <laughs> since sliced bread. Yeah. And if you're, they're willing to be honest with themselves, they're barely selling it. Why? Because they're not telling anybody about it. Mm-hmm. If you have a great solution that nobody knows about, they can't buy it. And if you think you are going to be able to wait until you get hired to share the strategy, 
you're never getting hired. Yeah. How do you, how do you think you get hired in the first place if they don't know what your strategy is going to be? Yeah. So um, I, I want to ask you, um, obviously with the shift, right? You talked a little bit about producing. If you were the biggest closer and the best closer in the world, you'd still be producing. But was there a moment where you're like, not only is this what I want to do, but this is what I should be doing. I love hearing the story of when somebody goes, you know what? This is what I am. And this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. Tell, can you talk to me a little bit about yeah, that? It's, it's really weird. You brought me back to, I coached at a speaker's academy a couple of years ago where there was a group of advisors that came in. They wanted to become better speakers or presenters. So one of the activities or exercises we did is we, we made them write out the story. Like if you were, had to give a keynote talk tomorrow and you had to share a personal story that tied into your talk, what would you share? So they're working on that. And I have one of the people talk about superpowers gifts. One of my weird superpowers, Spencer, is I can hear somebody's story and say, okay, based on that story, here's the message. And here's how you apply it to what you do as a health insurance advisor. And so was that, was there, and when I yeah. did that at this academy, people were like, how'd you do that? That's like a Jedi mind trick. And that's just a gift. This is something I have. And so that's when I realized, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. If this comes to me so naturally that I can bring people in and help them say, okay, here's where you are today. Here's who you're going after. Based on who you are and the brand you want to present, here's the story you need to be sharing and the message you need to be sharing to your prospects to get their attention. And then here's how you're, here's how you're going to do it on LinkedIn, webinars, public speaking, podcasts, you name it. That is just something I can wake up and do every single day without having to give it a lot of thought because it's just come to me naturally. Why? I've spent the last three years, every morning, Spencer, watching videos on YouTube, all about marketing, all about your brand, your story, your message. This isn't a gift that came to me at birth. Mm -hmm. It's putting the reps in when no one was watching. Yeah. I think people presume that um, somebody that's in a position like you and a successful entrepreneur, it all just came naturally, effortlessly, and you just gravitated towards your calling. Some of that might be slightly true. There's certain gifts that we're inherently born with. Obviously throwing a baseball was one of you, although you work to be able to do that. However, I, I would share the same sentiment with you that it is through lots of trial and error, lots of effort, lots of exposure, the 10,000 hours that they always talk about. Then you find your calling. I'm still in the pro right? We're, we're all talking about this uh, to a degree. And I, you know, I've shared some, some information back and forth. There is, a feeling out process. There's a, a, there's an evolution that I think everybody goes through. I'm 38 now feeling, you know, seeing some of that on the horizon. What is, what is, what are you on the cusp of, of, or what, what's the, you know, what's the eventuality of your career, but it's also a fun thing to, to really look back and go, well, I could do those 25 stop loss videos and that three hours of stop loss content. Cause every day for about three years, all I did for eight to 10 hours a day was talk and think and learn about stop loss. Okay. You want to ask me a question about stop loss? I can answer your question right now without thinking. That's not an accident. That's not a, I wasn't naturally born with stop loss knowledge. I learned it. I put forth effort to learn it. And now it's kind of shaped me to where I'm going directionally. But what makes you so good at it is one, knowledge, right? But two, because of those reps, you now can take a very complex uh, topic mm -hmm and make it very simple, understand through your communication. That's the gift. Okay. And you have an, you have an ability to share stop loss in a way I say in, that a third grader can understand. And that's the whole point. We, we work in a very complex industry. Health insurance, healthcare is very complex. 
But if you can take those complex topics and make them so simple to understand for your audience, for most of our viewers, it's the employer. Mm -hmm. They're going to take a lot of action and take a lot of action with you. Yeah. By the way, do you know what I learned today? What's that? You're 38? 38, yes. You're not just a millennial. You're actually a geriatric millennial. I saw something, yeah. Something, <laughs> and I am. I'm in like, there's like four years, right, of a geriatric millennial. Yeah, Seth was telling me that. Like, okay. you know, there's Is a, he in the geriatric? He's also okay. a geriatric. Like, I think it's 1980 to 83 or 84 or something like that. Is It makes you a geriatric millennial. Well, what did it make you, like, from a hybrid perspective? It kind of made you not so much, like, there was, uh, were you an old soul or something on top of that? Or I, I feel know. like I'm, there was, I'm just in the, I'm an infant Gen Xer, so. Infant Gen Xer. Yeah, well, I always got lumped in with the millennials, and I'm like, Really? Am I a millennial? I don't feel like a millennial, but um, who, yeah, who cares about my, <laughs> hey, what does that really, that categorization really mean? But I want to talk about um, entrepreneurship because mm -hmm. I actually had a friend of mine who is a firefighter. Shout out to Brendan. Um, firefighter is into real estate, has his own Amazon web business. You know, he's got a lot of things that he does. But he's listened to a couple of my podcasts and he's like, yeah, I was listening to that one the other day with Lester. And, you know, when you guys started talking about insurance, I had no idea what you were talking about. But what I loved is when you talked about um, his, him building a business. Yeah. There's a, and I actually, you're about the fourth or fifth person I've had on here that is a successful entrepreneur. So let's talk about just entrepreneurship itself, some advice, what it's like as somebody that goes out on your own. Because I think that story is one that calls to a lot of people, but two is very relatable. Yeah, uh, great. You know, and this plays into my baseball career because somebody said, why did you fail in pro baseball? And most people don't think I've failed. I do. And why? Because I didn't live up to my full potential. That is, you know, if, if I have one fear in life that I, I, I try to overcome every day, Spencer, is making sure I live, I'm living up to my full potential. But in baseball, at the pro level, I let three things impact me the most. Number one, the fear of failure. So when you're a free agent, you get one shot versus that top draft pick's nine. I can't screw up very much before I get let go. Mm -hmm. Number two, fear of judgment. In pro sports, high school, college, all sports, you're constantly judged against the competition, literally by stats, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third one was comparison. I was constantly looking at what everybody else is doing and saying, I don't belong. You were probably doing the same thing at SMU. Mm -hmm. Well, fast forward that to the, my entrepreneurial journey. Now, I did not become an entrepreneur and I don't know how you even define that, but I was 41 years old. I grew up in a family that was bred, that, that preached safety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think if you said, what allowed you to build your, my new, my coaching business, it's came down three things. I now love failure because you fail every day. I do not care what others think about me. So the fear of judgment has uh, been erased mm -hmm. and I, Still struggle once in a great while, but that whole comparing, stay in your lane, man. Who cares what everybody else is doing? And I've had to deal with that very recently, Spencer, because I have a lot of buddies who are in the product-based business. They sell a product. And they're, you know, breaking a million dollars with their business. And it's like, man, I got to, why am I not there? Why? And a friend of mine finally sat me down. We were doing a little exercise together. He said, listen, you understand their profit margins like 5 10%. Mm -hmm. You're, a coach, you're in the coaching consulting business. You can have a third of the size of their business and take home more than they do. Sure. And that is what really helped me eliminate comparison, like mm -hmm. stay in your lane. So the entrepreneurial journey for me came down to three things. Loving failure, not allowing others' judgment to get to me, and just 
focusing on what I do best and not comparing myself to anybody else. You do those three things well, you could start any business, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I, I think I would agree with you 100%. I, I do want to ask you, though, was there a moment in time where you felt like everything clicked? Everything came together, right? This is me grinding, trying to build this. Now it's working. Did that, that is there, there's probably yeah. not one thing or maybe well, there it's is. Not a, it wasn't so much a click, but I'll share this with you. So last fall, I had a coaching arrangement through an association of agencies that had hired me to do some coaching for all of their agencies. They get acquired. So as part of the acquisition, they have to let me go because I'm an outside consultant. I'm not an employee. And so at that point, it's September and I'm down to three one-on-one clients. I still had my 1099 income as an advisor, but I'm like, this coaching thing actually going to happen? And I had some doubts, right? You get those days where you're like, man, maybe I should just go back to just advising. Well, all of a sudden on one, two days, I said, you know what? I know what's happening here. I'm giving off the energy to the universe that I don't want this. Mm -hmm. I need to go in all in on me. If I go all in on me, universe, God, whatever you call it, it's going to listen. Yeah. And in two days, I made $17,000 worth of investments in a mastermind, one-on-one coaching, and there was a, a an experiential retreat for male business professionals a friend, friend of mine was running. Two days, I invested in all three of those. And trust me, writing that amount of money or paying yeah. for it with a card was scary as hell. Yeah. Here's what happened. Within a week or two, all of a sudden, coaching opportunities started coming in. Mm-hmm. And here I am in May, actually with a waiting list. And so that aha moment wasn't so much of a click, it was... The moment I decided to go all in on my own success is when everything changed. So just signaling intent to the universe that you're ready. It's, it's I'm a, here to play for keeps. Yeah, I'm here to play for keeps. I'm all in. I love that. And two, you know, maybe this you'll have a similar experience or um, maybe this what I say will, will resonate with you as well. But it's almost letting go of the outcome. Attachment to Enjoy the outcome. Enjoy the journey. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I... I, I I've, I made a video about this one day, six months ago. Little, I felt at the time uncomfortably too personal, so I didn't say it. So I'll share it with you now. I had that experience with my wife in in uh, college. Had a, a period of time where I just was looking for the one, and you know couldn't find them, and he was a little lonely, right? And going through that, and was constantly every time we go out to the bar and friends, I gotta find a girl. I gotta meet a girl, right? There was a period of time where I just kind of. I let go. I, you know, got a little too drunk at a bar, a bar left the bar, stormed home, all emotional in my 22 year old self, you know, I, and you know, at the risk of oversharing, I went to the soccer field in the middle of the night and I literally cried in the middle of the field. I was safe there. And it was like, I gotta, I, I'm holding on to all this stuff. Let it out. No joke. The next weekend I met my wife at a party. We hit it off instantaneously. We're talking Nobody, you know, her friend invited her. I was at my friend's place, happened to meet each other. But I, that is one of those experiences in my life. You know, you talk about universe or God or whatever it may be. Um, that's one of the few experiences that I'm very comfortable saying there's absolutely something else at work in my life that I had no control over. And it was relinquishing, relinquishing the control of the outcome that brought it. Uh, I feel like it let, yeah, letting go brought it into my life. And so, you know, that may be a very pertinent story because my wife and I have our 10 year anniversary uh, Sunday. Well, uh, congratulations. Thank you, man. Um, but that was, that was experience that I yeah. will literally never forget that experience. Um, and so just to your story, right? It's, it's part of it is just signaling intent of what you want to accomplish 
going all in, being committed, and then not having to, in my opinion, having to control exactly what the outcome is going to look like because it's too long-term. There's too many variables in between here and there. So like you said, go all in and then enjoy the journey until you get there. Well, let's take it to a micro level. Let's go back to the health insurance industry. You know, one of the challenges, if I have any hangups with an advisor who's looking to hire me or an agency as a coach consultant, number one, they want instant results. And so they're not willing to invest in the long term. And I can tell you 100% of the time when I can sense an advisor may not actually like what they do, they're never going to go all in on themselves. Mm. So is it, do you talk to them about, is this really for you? I have. I've been okay. having, especially with COVID and the pandemic, I've had more of those conversations in the last three months than I probably have ever had in my career. Like, let me ask you a more important question. You actually like what you're doing? Yeah. Because there's no wrong answer. If you don't, the pandemic provided an opportunity unlike anything we've ever seen in our life to go do what you want to do. If there's one thing we learned in the last 13 mm-hmm. month, months, life is short. Sure. Why spend it working, doing something for the money and you hate when you, now is the time to rewrite the rest of your life. Well, one of the best pieces of advice I feel like I ever gotten was one of my first jobs in my career. Um, a guy I was sitting down with for lunch, already gotten the job and we went to lunch to get to know the team. And he, he was talking about his career and he was very successful and higher up in the organization. He said, never chase the money. I never chased the money. And I don't know why that singular sentence stuck with me for 15 years, but his, his point, which was fairly obvious is right. Is everybody's going to dangle more money on, uh, if you're, if you're out there doing successfully, what you you hope you're going to do, people will dangle more money in front of you. If you constantly chase the money, eventually that money is not going to fill whatever hole in your daily career and life that exists. You can't pile enough money into it if you're unhappy with what you do. So the inverse of that is pursue the things that you're passionate about or eventually figure out the things you don't like and move on. I am of the mindset, and maybe that's the abundance mindset or whatever you want to call it, where the money itself will follow the passion. I mean, I, I don't know how you... Well, I think, and I actually want to tie this back because you asked a question minutes ago about when did it click for you? Yeah. Actually, you know, I think about it like, when did I realize this is what I meant to do? It's those days running the coaching business where I get my ass kicked. Let's say I had three opportunities for new clients. They all said no or not right now. And I just went 0 for 4 trying to earn new clients today. At the end of the day, looking back when I go, you know what? I got my ass kicked today, but that was fun. And I get to get up and do it again tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new day. That's when it all changed. Whereas an advisor, you lose one opportunity and you let it impact your entire week. Yeah. I can't know how many times as a stop loss rep, I'd let one loss of a case. You have a 3% close ratio. You get 500 RFPs in a year. That one case was devastating. And it's like, well, maybe you worked hard on it and you didn't get there for one reason or the other. But if that one case is going to kill you, you're in the wrong career, right? Correct. 97% of the time you get told no. So move on. Um, but it's, you, obviously you think about the compensation tied to that and you worked it hard and you knew the broker and you should have sold it and whatever. But that's where, that's where you let the devastation get you. Yeah. You're, you're running the numbers in your head. Yes. Oh, I could have made $40,000 on yes. this. Yep. And that's where, if you're focused on the numbers, you're of never going to enjoy the ride. 100% agree. Um, can we shift gears to content creation? Because uh, I, I yes. want to talk to you about content. Because you're good at it. 
Well, thanks, man. I learned it by watching you. I made that joke a long time ago. Like, what's that old commercial where the dad catches oh, the, his son the, with the, weed the, under with the, the bed? Pot, yeah. It's like, where'd you get this? I learned it by watching you. I watched that. you, dad. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I sent you that joke, and I'm like, oh, crap, I don't know Andy that well. Is he even going to get this joke? And uh, But I meant it. Um, I literally Thank have you. learned it by, you know, obviously we all stand on the shoulders of giants and watch others do, do things before us. But you are very good at it. You are consistent at it. Dr. Bricker was another person on this podcast who I envy in the way that he produces content. And he's so, so good and so consistent at it. So tell me about content creation. Open, open question. I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. If you are listening and you want to start creating content, man, I, let's, let's face it, Spencer, it's 2021. If you're not doing it, you have to. Like, you're behind the times. Mm-hmm. And I hear this a lot. Well, I, I don't like social media, and I, I think it's a waste of time. Great. Does your prospects, do your prospects think that? Because if they don't, you need to be there. I don't care what you think about it. What do your prospects think about it? And so I get a lot of advisors who are stuck on, okay, I know I need to do it, but what do I do, Andy? First thing is start sharing pieces of your life with your audience at large. Now, here's the key. This goes back to what you were talking about, some of the stuff you were sharing. If you have an ability to take a personal story but tie in a business lesson to the story, it's gold. Why? Because number one, you are letting your audience get to know you, right? Parts of your life with, with them, they get to know you. The more they get to know you, guess what the next phase is? Now they can start liking you. You said that one about one of our colleagues that you've followed content of, right? I like this guy. Now, I've never met him, but I like his content, yeah. which means I like him. Yep. But now you tie a business lesson to it and you teach me something. That's when it's game over. Yeah. So I tell a lot of advisors who are looking to get better on LinkedIn, because honestly, as advisors, you just need to stick on LinkedIn. It's business to business platform, right? If you just want to share personal stories and look at me, go to Facebook, go to Instagram. That's Instagram. what that stuff's yeah. for, right? Yeah. Yep. But if you actually want to take your LinkedIn content to the next level, your ability to get on video or even share pictures of you, which is a struggle for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but it's part of branding. And you're able to tell me a lesson, a, 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 an event, a story, something from your life, but it, you pass on the lesson it taught you to me and it teaches me something, that is going to be the fastest way for me to get to know you or like you. Mm-hmm. And so content creation, I tell people to start there. Just start sharing stories about you, but turn them into lessons your audience could learn. And I don't care what it is in your life, everybody has got a story. Here's a great example. We're going to start wor- workshopping right Let's away. Let's do it. I have a client right now. He focuses on working with small businesses in California. That's a small group. And he struggles. He's like, Andy, I don't know what story to share. I said, didn't you just start your agency not that long ago? Yeah. So you yourself are a small business and an entrepreneur. Yeah. As are your prospects. Yeah. Just start sharing your journey Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur. As a small business owner, because you're telling their story, that's going to get your ideal prospects to go, yeah, I've gone through that too. I like this guy. He gets me. And guess who they're going to hire as their advisor? Why do I post pictures of me cycling once in a while in the mountains of Colorado? Because I know there's brokers out there who are also cyclists. The second they see that post, they go, "Ah, this Andy dude's just like me. Now we're that step closer. You talk about some of the stuff you're doing. 
people that also resonate with that. You, we talked about one of your favorite bands, Tool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if anybody didn't know, Spencer's a huge Tool fan. And, and I feel like we have to wedge Tool into every podcast at this we point. We need like, like a quick break so we can yeah, play some Tool music. Yeah. No, but imagine there's a, a broker out there that you're trying to get get the plan site in front of mm-hmm. who's, not, who's also a huge Tool head. Well, you two just got that much closer by you making that one post. And so content creation to me is not, and, and not, now let me give you the other side, Spencer, if I may. Look at how many agencies in our industry or brokers. Here's the, 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 what do I call it? The worst practices. So many of our peers go on LinkedIn and all they do is share content that bashes the healthcare system, bashes health insurance companies. And what is it for? It's to get reactions out of their buddies. Great. You got a hundred likes and 80 comments. Is it actually driving business? Mm-hmm. I bet you it's not because you're not talking to your prospects. Your peers are not your prospects. And I see agencies, we talked about this, who post after post after post. It's just continuous content around. This is why our clients love working with us. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. Yeah. Start acting human and sharing human-related content and your prospects will come to you. Well, and I agree with you. And it's, it's on along that line, like there's some very big firms and, and companies out there that have, you know, their employees will reshare the same content, like the same day at the same time, very limited engagement. One thing is, you know, one, one argument would be like, well, very successful brand. And of course they're going to follow along the brand and why would they change what they're doing? The, the other argument is, well, if you're utilizing this medium for this purpose, then you're also utilizing it incorrectly in my opinion. So fine, if that's okay, and you don't need it for, um, you know, production purposes. But if you are intentionally doing this posting for a reason, the reason that you're doing it for is not working if that's the only content that you post. Because I have no idea who the human being is behind the post about how great your company is, right? And so I think that's just a similar thing. It's, I'm, I'm looking at it from a person um, consuming that content on the other side. Yes, I create some, but I'm also on LinkedIn just going similar to you, right? Looking for people talk, people that I know talking about something interesting. I'm gliding past anything that's curated content by the company that they work for, and I'm going right immediately to Sims's posts or your posts or Lester's posts, something that's actually interesting that I know you I, I still have yet to totally figure out what Sims does, right? But we talk some. I know he changed jobs recently, but I know Sims. I feel like I know him really well. And here's what happens. Yeah. When you get an opportunity to do business with Sims, you'll be like, I actually don't even care what this guy does. I just want to do business yeah, with him. Yeah, exactly. That's the magic. Exactly. Yep. Gary Vee has said that once. He goes, if your content's good enough and they see it enough, you literally guilt them into doing business with you over time. I don't disagree with that one. one and either. so, you know, let me give you a real life example with my content. In fact, it's, you and I are talking, I haven't had any time to post anything today. I've been so busy. So, so there's going to be some days you can't post content, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but on a daily basis, I will post, typically my mornings are something that is more mindset based. I've talked about your morning routines. I've talked about what, why are you afraid to be different? All these things that is about shifting your mindset, right? Which is part of my brand. And then that afternoon, I'll post more of a subject matter expertise. How do you grab attention from the right audience? A video that I did, right? I'll tell you, hands down, number one, the morning post gets a lot more attention, which I don't, you can't do it for just the engagement. Mm-hmm. Versus the content, subject matter expertise content where I'm teaching you something. But I will tell you, hands down, the content that gets a broker to reach out to me for help and eventually becomes a client is one of my personal story posts that I made where they reach out and they say, man, I thought you were talking to me. Yeah. 
And I realized if I'm going to hire somebody to help me grow my brand, go after the right prospects by telling the right story, you're the guy. Yeah. Well, you're it's not your subject matter to expertise content. It's me getting to know you, the human. And now I feel like I know you and you know me and we can work together. hundred percent. Right. And you fast forwarded to, you've already closed the business effectively because they want to do business with you. Now it's a matter of logistics. It's Just not tell me what of, I need to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And it's, it's, it's really interesting because it inverts the prospecting process. Maybe, okay. I can't draw a straight line in one day from a post to a sale, but I can over the course of six months as somebody that's seen my content and said, oh yeah, by the way, I shared your stop loss videos with a couple people in my team. I make them watch every one of them to train. Oh, by the way, I finally went over to PlanSide and saw what you guys do. Can we set up a demo? And it's so funny that um, that was not, was it not intentional? Okay, there was intent there. Was it directly intentional to do that? Not at all. Let me read this to you. This okay. is a text I got yesterday Okay. or Tuesday. This one's for you, man. Two years ago, I was trying old school tactics to book meetings and close deals with larger groups directly in blank. I won't name the market. Through the better part of a year, I got nowhere with calls and emails. With your guidance, I stopped altogether and went all in on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yesterday, two years later, keynote there. Yesterday was the culmination of those efforts. A new agency reached out to me without, ever me, without me ever contacting them. We closed a new partnership agreement, and yesterday they said they're bringing me 10,000 lives by July. Why? He was on LinkedIn telling his story. It took him two years. Everybody, please hear that. You're not going to get a win next week. Mm -hmm. You said it just minutes ago, Spencer. This is playing the long game. But if you go on LinkedIn with the right intent to share who you are, how you can help, people will do business with you. It happens every single time. 100%. I agree. And I feel very fortunate that I'm with a, a company that um, allows me the freedom they promote it. and yep. autonomy to, to do that because they trust that, you know, they hired me for a reason. They think I'm smart. They think I know what I'm they're doing. They're letting you do this. And they're letting me do this, right? How, I mean, how cool is that? Because that's not the case everywhere. And not everybody's so lucky. And I feel fortunate that is the case. But also there's an eventual obvious benefit to them at the same time. And they've allowed me the freedom to, to do that. And so, you know, thank you to Steve and David Plantsite for, uh, for doing And so. they're just good dudes. They're too. good, very good guys. And you know, that's, that's part of it, right? Is, is you build a rapport with people that you connect with and you will run through walls uh, for somebody like that as well. So wrapping it up, Andy, I know we got things to do. Can we do a yeah. quick workshop with that? You dude, might have to take two minutes. Uh, dude, I want, this is, this is your now time. the time to grab a pen and yeah. a paper. Oh yes. Let's do it. So I'm going to give you a real quick 90, 90, 120 second workshop on how to start LinkedIn content. Number one, how do you want to post? Pictures, video, articles. Pick, no wrong answer. Number two, cool. Now what do I say? Okay, we just talked about personal stories, subject matter expertise. So, so once in a while you can go to the whiteboard, show me what you do, teach me something. Share case studies. This is where most brokers are afraid to go. Oh my God, my competition's is listening in. If your client is willing to share a case study publicly, do you think they're leaving you anytime soon? Share it. Mm -hmm. Share testimonials from clients. They're not leaving if they're willing to give you a testimonial. So share it far and wide. No one's going to toot your horn for you. So you have to toot your own horn. That's a lesson I had to learn running my own business. And then the last one's called actions. Once in a while, invite me to a webinar, a call, if you run those categories, but honestly, Spencer, as an advisor, if you just lived in this lane for the rest of your career, two posts a week, one a personal story with a lesson, and a subject matter expertise post, 
back and forth, back and forth. Every week for the rest of your career, you would build a big business from LinkedIn alone. I'm going to get let that breathe because I just know exactly what your LinkedIn clip is for your episode is going to be that that <laughs> content right there. I couldn't have I couldn't have asked for a better standalone clip. But thank you for that. And actually, I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because I'm still in the process of figuring out what works, right? Um, some of mine was by accident. Some of it was just like you said, post a subject matter that you're an expert at. Then eventually figure out, well, what is getting engagement? Then timing, you know, so things like that where you can go deep into the analytics. And yeah, somebody that's super scientific about it would probably give me a couple different pointers to change things. What I focused on to start and still focus on, I don't want to do super frequent posts. I want to have a high quality of, of posts. I want to have a reason I'm posting about this, not necessarily feel an obligation to post. Now, some people might disagree. Frequency and consistency is obviously a good thing. But for me, there has to be a balance of the quality of the post because we talk about it's a, this is attention grabbing. There's a level of narcissism in this and you have to accept that, right? Don't toot your own horn. That's okay. But have a purpose. Don't just, here's me taking a picture with me in my coffee or sitting next to flower. If maybe there's a purpose or a story behind it, great. But I, I do think there is some um, compartmentalization of what goes on LinkedIn versus what goes on, like you said, Instagram or Facebook. Well, and I'll tell you this. Subject matter expertise is great, and it works really well if you pair it with the ability to tell stories around it. Mm -hmm. Going on and doing subject matter expertise that gets in the weeds, super focused, confuses everybody, and it attracts nobody. Mm -hmm. You are a perfect example, Spencer, of somebody who knows how to take a very boring subject, no offense, stop loss, mm -hmm. and make it appealing through your stories. I do my research. You have YouTube videos on stop loss, my friend, that have 3,000 views. Mm -hmm. Nobody gets that on stop loss. <laughs> Why? Because your videos are entertaining. You tell stories. You don't just go super technical of what stop loss is. That's the key on subject matter expertise. Share, show me your knowledge through the ability to tell stories. And now you've got me forever. Well, I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up, man. And I do, I appreciate the compliments. Thanks so much for coming. This was really it's cool. awesome. Meet you in person for the first time. I feel like I know you because you're such a good uh, content creator and poster. And so thanks again for, for fitting it in the schedule. I don't think we talked self-funded once. And that was my, that was my goal for this. And I bet, you know, if I had to guess, this will probably be one of the more successful podcasts just because I was engaged the whole time. Like literally, Andy, I wanted to hear your story and you are a great storyteller as well. Thank you. Um, so thanks for sharing that with hey, me, man, man, and spending the time. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank All you right. for having me on. My pleasure. See you, Andy.